Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements, so let's jump right in and see what's been going on. First up, Retro Gamer Store just opened pre-orders on smoke clear versions of a Model 2 Genesis or Mega Drive shell. And everything should be exactly as you would come to expect after the past couple years of Retro Gamer Store releasing these. From the time the pre-orders open to the time you receive them, it should be less than six months, barring any global shutdowns or anything like that. Um, The quality has always been excellent on all of these, and it should fit all of the models worldwide. So much like the Model 1, there's probably going to be an all-clear version that will fit everything, and then different sticker packs to make it look like whatever region that you're going for. But I'm obviously a massive fan of these. I've done live streams on every one that I've had, and I've just got nothing but good things to say about them. So if you have a Mega Drive or Genesis Model 2 that you want to upgrade the shell, definitely check this out. And if you wanted a better idea of what to expect, if for whatever reason you hadn't really seen these things in action before, check out the live stream I recently did, uh, as well as the recent post with the purple SNES, because it really just shows how good these things are. So if you're interested, definitely grab it now. You can get it from Castlemania or directly from Retro Gamer Store. And hopefully I'll be doing a live stream testing these things out in about, you know, four or five, six months. Here's some really exciting news if you're a fan of the 3DO console. Developer Fixel has just opened an interest checklist for true digital-to-digital audio and video HDMI mods for the 3DO consoles. And this should cover most of the models available. The post has all of the info that you need on which ones would or could potentially not be compatible with it. But this is a true digital mod, so it's not an analog-to-digital experience. It's true digital-to-digital. And the video outputs should be 720p, 480p, and original 240p, which is so cool because that means that this mod is basically one mod to rule them all if you're a Lord of the Rings nerd. And it's uh, because if you have a 240p HDMI output, that means that if you're looking for a component video, all you need is a cheap DAC, an HDMI to component video converter. And if you wanted RGB SCART, all you would need is a cheap VGA converter with an HD15 SCART at the end. So, and on top of that, any retro gaming focused scalers that are released in the future with an HDMI input would then potentially be able to manipulate this signal however you wanted it, just like the original, with 
true digital-to-digital experience, so zero chance of analog noise. And granted, today, that's much less of a big deal. Even with the RetroTINK 4K coming out, I imagine many flat panel TVs will scale this signal perfectly fine from its 720p output. But if you're a sharpness nut, or in the future when you know 8K and 16K TVs are ever released, whatever scaler you're plugging into then, this will be able to do whatever it is that you want to do without worrying about pre-scaling or anything else. You just get the original raw audio and video signal out of it. So this is still just an interest checklist. However, if you're even slightly interested, I would absolutely sign up because I would love to see these things made. And I think it's one of these mods where if you're a fan of the 3DO, it really has you all covered. On top of that, it also kind of solves the whole 240p 480i switch. And what Fixel said about it was, the console will think it's producing two fields of 480i, but I display one complete frame, ignoring the interpolation made by console flags. The difference is in the way I handle console flags. For 480i, I'll honor them on each field, and for 240p, I'll ignore them. What that means in non-nerd speak is it'll always look the way it's supposed to. You don't have to flick switches in the back. It should just work totally fine. So this is pretty exciting. I'm certainly looking forward to trying to get one. And if you want any more info or anything else like this, check out the post in the interest list. And also my export optical drive emulator just came in from Fixel. Uh, I just as I was starting to record this, however, uh, my 3DO is still acting up. So I'm going to try to borrow one locally and then do a live stream showing that off and seeing how it works. So hopefully you'll see that within a couple of days or or heck, even the same day that you're watching this, if I can get one pretty quickly. So thanks very much to Fixel for working on these, for helping me try to get my 3DO working and for trying to bring us some awesome new products. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLCPCB, and following up from last week, I'm going to take a similar project to what we showed last week and not just make the PCB, but also do a quick run-through of how to get the assembly done and see how it works. So as usual, start by going to jlcpcb.com, logging into your account, and if you don't have one yet, just sign up for one. It's completely free. Then load up your Gerber file the same exact way you would as if you were only making a PCB run. After it's loaded up, you'll see the first difference from this week to last week is we panelized this. Because as I showed in the longer form walkthrough of how to do these, if it's a small board, you'll need to panelize it in order to make it easier to assemble. So we panelized this one. Um, there was an option to panel by JLC PCB, but panel by customer is all we needed. And columns and rows, one, two, three, four, five rows, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten columns. So we would just go uh, ten by five, and that's pretty much it. Uh, panel quantity is going to be five because that's the minimum. However, we're only going to assemble one of these. So at that point, just click the button on PCB assemble and hit next. And now it'll ask you for the different bill of materials file, as well as the pick and place file. The pick and place is something that you should have gotten as, uh, along with whatever software you were using. And of course you have to create the bill of materials yourself. Then you have to include what it's labeled as, which I'm still not really sure why, but whatever, no big deal. Just put in whatever name you want for this project and let it load up. And now that that's all uploaded, let's take a look and see what we got. It looks like most of the components are fine, but we got an error for one of the components. It says repeated coordinate, there are multiple components in the same position. Uh, 
So that's an interesting one. There might be an issue with a pick and place file. There could be an issue with the design, but I want to leave this in and work through it because I like to have these ads show problems that we might all actually run into. And this seems like something that would be pretty common. So let's continue and see how much farther we can progress or if it's going to ask us to redo the board. Hopefully it would just allow us to do something like potentially have these made without that component. And if it's only one component, really not that big of a deal. Okay, so you can see right here how C1 does not have a component added to it. So that's kind of interesting to see. I'm not sure where the error is and what we could do about it. So I am going to take another look at this and follow up next week, but I'm still sticking with it. I think this is good to have happen. That way we could kind of just show everybody exactly what to expect when you're doing things like this. So I'm going to stop here for now, but I'll follow up next week with an explanation of what went wrong. So that way, if you run into this issue, you'll know exactly how to fix it whenever you place your PCB plus assembly orders. Drew from the MK Plus team just posted a video that shows how collision detection works in Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. And I think this is a great video for anyone that's a fan of fighting games, because remember, with these games... The collision detection isn't based on the actual animation of the characters, but the hitbox around them. And not only does Drew do a great job breaking this down for the UMK3 game, but there's also some pretty cool rectangles around the characters, so you could visualize this hitbox even better. So if you're a fan of any kind of fighting game, and you're a little bit of a nerd like me and want to know how these things work, this one's definitely a must-watch. And of course, Mortal Kombat fans are definitely going to be interested in this one. And if you would like to know more about both the MK Plus project as well as Drew and Paul, please check out the interview that we did a while back. I think it's such an awesome project for MK1, 2, and 3, basically. And uh, to call them ROM hacks would be an absolute injustice. You really need to hear the full story to understand what goes into MK+, and how in-depth it actually goes. So please check out either of those videos if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat. Ship to Shore has just opened pre-orders on a vinyl version of the Fantasy Star 3 soundtrack from the Sega Genesis. The price is $30 plus shipping, and it's due to ship early next year. It also looks like the artwork is from the Japanese version, and I looked up both boxes, so that's probably the right move anyway. But if you're a fan of Fantasy Star 3, you should at least check out the links in Crystal's post and see if this is something that you would like to purchase for yourself. Chris from Displaced Gamers just posted a video describing input lag and the attack animation delay of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES. And I think this one is a must-watch for most of us nerds, because, first of all, at the beginning, Chris goes through one of the best descriptions of what lag is and why it's a bad thing. So right off the bat, the video starts out strong, and I'm definitely going to be stealing from his examples here, because I think that's a, a perfect way for people to visualize it. But Chris also breaks down how laggy this game actually is, and how basically broken it was right from the factory. Not the worst game that anybody's ever looked at, but certainly up there. And I really enjoyed seeing everything broken down to how laggy even certain specific moves were. And there's even a part about how certain moves get laggier depending on if the drums are playing. I don't want to spoil it. This was a really good video. So if you're one of my fellow nerds, I would call this a must watch. I really enjoyed the heck out of it because it ties hardware and software together. And on top of that, even though it doesn't focus on emulation, it definitely gives you at least more of a visualization and a sense of where a lot of this extra lag come 
can come from when you are using software emulation on this. Not always, I obviously love software emulation too, but just saying whenever I talk about certain laggy software emulation solutions, this will kind of help you understand how that happens and how the lag is added. So awesome video, definitely recommend. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just released a video about a brand new shell from the company Boxy Pixel for the DMG. And this one is an all aluminum shell. So right off the bat, this is super expensive and it's just the shell for about 150 bucks with everything that you would need. And that doesn't include a replacement screen if you want one of those. However, this is one of those products where I think anybody that wants to purchase something like this understands this is a luxury upgrade. So exactly like why you would want to buy an Acura instead of a Honda or something like that. There's a lot of people out there that would say that's dumb. The Honda will get you from point A to point B just as good as the Acura will. And there's a lot of other people out there that will understand what you get when you pay the extra money for that. So I think that's the perfect analogy. If you don't like cars, I don't know make something up. But <laughs> I think it's the perfect analogy because you can get replacement DMG shells that are great for much cheaper. But if you want a really beautiful aluminum shell for it, then this is definitely the one to check out. Also, it allows you to use the original four AA batteries. You don't need to install some kind of rechargeable battery kit, which is something that makes the installation easier, but it's also something that not everybody would want to do, because I know a lot of people prefer the internal battery kits because if they're in the middle of a game, they could just plug in their charger and continue to play, whereas I know an equal amount of people that say it's just so much easier for me to get a whole bunch of Eneloop batteries and then swap those out as needed. So choices are always a good thing, and if you're looking for a very fancy shell for your DMG, this is definitely one to take a look at. And heck, to be honest, even if that's something that you don't think you'd want to spend your money on, it's another really awesome Macho Nacho video. So maybe at the very least, give that a watch. The Musician Remute has just opened pre-orders for their third album this year. This one is going to be released on the Sega Dreamcast. Now, if Remute's known for putting albums out using the original consoles to generate the sound, why is there a Dreamcast album? Isn't that just a CD? Sort of. You can actually throw this in any CD player and just listen to the music. However, this album, when played in a Dreamcast, has some very cool vis visualizations to go along with it. So uh, I've heard some of the samples that were up on Bandcamp sound like there's some really awesome songs on this one. If you're into that type of music, I mean that with respect, obviously. Uh, so if you're into this one, I would definitely check it out. I still pre-ordered it because the price came to just over 30 bucks. I get to support an artist I like. I get to listen to music I like. And while for me personally, it isn't as crazy as plugging in a Sega Genesis cartridge in order to listen to an album. I always, I still think that's the coolest thing, but uh, I do like the experience and I will be pulling out my Sega Sports Edition Dreamcast that's all stock, putting it in that and, and kind of watching the visualizations as I listen to the music when it comes in. So if you want it, it's uh, $30, which is, uh, it was $30 for me, which included shipping and it's due to arrive before the end of this year. So another awesome remute album. If you want to hear more directly from Dennis, check out the interview we did a while back where he talks about doing all of the things that he's done this year. He's hit all of his goals of the N64 album, the Game Boy Advance album, and now the Dreamcast album. So maybe he'll follow up with a Sega Master System FM sound album after this. <laughs>
I just posted a podcast talking to Peter and Dave from Sega Saturn Shiro about the awesome magazine that they released. And you could hear my enthusiasm through all of it, not just because I was tipsy from an Oktoberfest party, but because I've been gushing about this thing since I received mine. And it, I just thought it was really awesome and really impressive. And I loved hearing how they put it together. I was a little surprised at the, the methods that they used, but it, how it came out was really all that matters. And I really just wanted to share this discussion with everybody. So if you had any kind of thoughts or curiosity about putting out a magazine today, this is probably an interesting one to listen to because we didn't get too technical, but it was enough to, to satisfy most of my nerdisms. Uh, but it's also refreshing to to hear people talk about something that they, they loved and they wanted to put out the best quality of. Because to be honest, my last retro gaming magazine experience was so bad, it almost turned me off from all retro game mags ever, <laughs> which is a shitty thing to say. I know that, but I'm only human, right? Uh, and the Shiro magazine, ep- or I almost said episode one, issue number one definitely just pulled me right back out of that and showed me that you actually can have an absolutely gorgeous piece of print media that still would feel relevant today while being a throwback to to all the magazines from back in the day. So if you're even slightly interested, try to give this one a try. And, you know, if you've got to fast forward through my stupid beer story at the beginning, that's fine. I won't be mad at you. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video and read through the post, or both. But starting us out, two Neo Geo cores that you would have to manually download are available that overclock the CPU to 18 or 24 megahertz. The original speed is 12 megahertz. So it makes perfect sense that this would have to be a manual download. You wouldn't want to confuse any of the just standard Neo Geo Core users. But it's pretty cool that we get to do things like this so easily because anybody that's ever tried an overclock mod on any original console knows that it's potentially dangerous. It could create heat, involves some very often cutting, and this just involves downloading another file and loading the same ROM you already have. Um, There is a couple of new test builds available for the Saturn core. These are not official and were compiled from the core's GitHub page by users. So this isn't something that's going to be an official build. This is just kind of users helping out saying, hey, you know, we tried to jump in and help. Let's see what we could do for now. So kind of give it a try at your own risk. But I'm still really excited to see what SRG320 has got going on for this. Also, Pierco has made the Bank Panic Core public, so I believe we talked about that a few times of it being for subscribers, but now that's just available to get through whatever your favorite updater is. Um, and Anton Gale has made a bunch of progress on the Exerian Core. Once again, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing these right. My apologies if I'm not. So uh, I don't think it's available for release yet, but it's moving through, so that's something that's kind of neat if you're uh, waiting for that core. Also, Jimmy Stones has gotten clean sweep running on simulation and on the Mr. FPGA. So it's not just in the software simulation. It's starting to run on the hardware itself. So that's pretty cool. Um, Also, Pork is now selling remote control units for Mr. Cades. And these are pretty neat. These are a newer version that allows you to run a cable to kind of break everything out to go around the side of your uh, of your arcade machine in order to add a GunCon sync port, which is cool if you're trying to use that for light gun games as well, uh, as well as two-player support for SNES, NES, and PlayStation. You still got to use those floppy adapters, but you know what? One day, one day, I'll get the adapter of my dreams. Um, next, Hotego has had a Rainbow Islands PC donated, and it look, uh, looks like schematics 
will start to be made for that at some point, which is exciting for people who want that game. Robert has showed pictures of bilinear filtering for the PlayStation Core, and we should be seeing it in the next update. And if you haven't seen this yet, check out Lou's video, or I guess if you need to see it immediately, you could uh, click on the links in Lou's post and go to Robert's Twitter page to see it. But it was really impressive, the difference that it made. And obviously, any kind of filtering like this is up to you. And it's not going to be perfect in every game. You know, I would never do this for a 2D game like um, Symphony of the Night, but for Silent Hill, stuff like that, it just was really impressive. So it's awesome and exciting to me to see not only how accurate this is, but how you're going past what original hardware could do. Also, Mike Simone added support for Raiders 5 to the Ninja Kid core, and the update hasn't been available yet, but it might be by the time you hear this, so that should be fine. Um, Also, a core for Penguin Wars has been released by the developer Macro, Um, so check that one out if you're into the game. And there's also some updates for the Atari, PCXT, Commodore 64, and Rising core. So if you're into any of those, definitely check those out. And also, Lou's been throwing in some analog pocket updates as well at the end of his videos. So is that something that you wanted me to also talk about here? Or would you like to just refer to Lou's video? Or would you like to refer to that uh, developer sheet that I talked about a few weeks ago? Um, really, I want to do whatever you all want me to do, because that's, that's really all that matters to me. I want to make sure I get the info out to everybody in the way that you all want. So please let me know what you think. Um, I think there's a lot of small progress on the pocket, but I think as more developers start to get their units and as more people start to be able to buy them, that will kind of start to grow a lot more then. But I could be wrong. Heck, for all I know, there's some amazing core ports coming over right now i don't really know but uh, just let me know what you would like and i'll see what i could do and of course subscribe to lou on youtube and uh, check out his post here the company make megahertz have just announced project stellar which is a pretty all-encompassing project for the original xbox and this does a whole bunch of things like acts as a bios replacement but it's all running on its own project stellar os it's a really awesome in-depth thing and i'm going to go over it kind of quickly here just so you can get an idea of it in the interest of everybody's time i'm not going to go back for an entire history lesson of the different things that you could do with bios updates however i would strongly recommend checking out alex's post if you want to be brought up to speed on that stuff he really summed up everything very nicely and kind of puts into perspective why this project is so important but essentially this is a full overhaul for the console. So you install this mod chip, which can be purchased either on its own to connect with original Xbox HD installations, or you can get it as a kit. So you get the HDMI out and this at the same time. And this is a full BIOS replacement that runs its own OS. It has a micro SD card that uh, card slot that'll allow you to load the different BIOSes and OS and some other functions. It also allows for support of up to 16 terabytes of storage, and it has trim enabled, so if you're using an SSD, you're not going to kill that very quickly. It's got a bunch of different features that you may have seen in other BIOSes, but all in one very cool interface. And it's got a whole bunch of different things that tap into the Xbox that allow it to do stuff that, at at least up to now hasn't really been able to work right before, including making the console behave like it has an optical drive emulator installed. And there is potential for the ability to load games over the network now, which was not available before. So this is a big deal for original Xbox fans, and it certainly unlocks a ton of different things mixed from 
stuff that you could already do with hacked BIOSes to things you couldn't do as easy to brand new features. So if you're into the original Xbox, I would absolutely check out Alex's post as well as check out pre-orders for the project, um, which is available from the Make Megahertz website, Castlemania, Video Game Perfection, and 8-Bit Mods. But this seems like it's going to be a pretty awesome project that hardware should be shipping around the end of next month. So you should be able to get this in your hands fairly quickly. But overall, it, it just seems really neat and I can't wait to get my hands on it and kind of start messing around and seeing what could be done. Before I go, very quickly, I just wanted to give a shout out to everybody that was on that live stream with me the other day where I was messing around with Mr. Stuff. I try to always differentiate between when these live streams are teaching something, when we're going to be learning it together, or when we're just messing around and having fun. And this was definitely one of those learn together moments. And I just had so much fun. A bunch of people in the chat were helping me get over some weird little hiccups with the mister that I had forgotten about or some cores that I hadn't messed with before. Also, Martin Wickerwaka, as well as a whole bunch of other people, Wizzo and Jose the Ypsilon have jumped in and tried to help with this. And the end result will be in a week or so, I'll either have a post, a video, or both that will show you how to streamline your mister setup for a dedicated arcade cabinet. So... You know, just a, a very quick overview of this. If you have a multi-purposed mister, then you don't really need any of this. Hopefully you'll still watch the video just for the hell of it and maybe it'll be entertaining. But this is really focused on people that have a tate cabinet so the screen is never rotating. It's always in one fixed vertical position. Or for people that want to build a dedicated arcade cab with no other ROMs on it, just have an arcade machine. For me personally, I like my wide, normal-oriented cab to have everything on it because there's a ton of console stuff that feels right at home on an arcade machine. But for my Tate cab, I only want vertical games, period, nothing else. So we were able to figure out a whole bunch of really cool tricks and things that just streamline it and make it a little easier. So I guess this is just a sneak preview as to what's to come. If you really want to watch the stream, I'll leave it linked. But Honestly, it's mostly just mistakes, and some of the, the the final things that I figured out happened about 20 minutes after the stream ended. So, you know, as much as I'd like to see my numbers go up, I, you should probably skip this stream, but hopefully the video coming up soon, or, or maybe it's just a post depending on my time, uh, would be good enough for people, because I don't think this one's going to be like a, a million view video, but if you wanted to build a dedicated Mr. Cab, this one should be a help to you. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially people who support in any way possible, because it's you that are keeping the website, the podcasts, and everything else I'm involved in alive. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>